it's great to, to be with you tonight. Uh, really looking forward to unpacking this passage in um, Ephesians. And I hope that this has been, um, I hope you're enjoying this series in Ephesians. I know that I am. And uh, the, the title of this series is um, Building a, a Community in Christ. And I think we said at the beginning of this series just how significant I think this, this is for us as Second City, because we are still in our infancy. God is still building us. So it's great that we've got this opportunity just to kind of slow down, reflect, and, and, and listen into the advice that Paul writes to the Ephesians church. Now, um, in these first three chapters, Paul has been writing to the Ephesians church. And he's been explaining to them who they've become in Christ. And he's saying, look, because of God's great power and love towards us, we have now become his. Um, we've become his through grace, uh, according to our, our faith in, in Christ. And now we've got this new identity in Christ and we're part of this new family in, in Christ. And then in these next three chapters, in, the, in, in, the, uh, in chapters three, four, uh, four, sorry, four, five, and six, uh, he's going to then uh, 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 unpack how are we to live in the light of what Christ has done for us. And this really follows a pattern of quite a lot of Paul's letters where he talks about the gospel imperative, uh, indicatives. He says, look, these are the things that you are, okay? Uh, because Christ has been at work in you, you are his family. Because Christ has rescued us, you, you, you become sons and daughters of the living God. Then he then moves on to say, well, because of who we are, this is what we should do. And for us... As we reflect on in Ephesians, we're going to see here's what Christ has done. Here's what we must do. And that, that pattern's really significant and important. Because if we get it the other way around, then our works become the grounding of our, our faith, our relationship with him. Not just merely the, the grounding in terms of am I saved, but just a functional everyday reality of, of walking with Jesus. Uh, if, we, if we reflect on all the things that we've done and we said, look, if I do these things, then I am a good Christian, then I, I'm saved, then it will lead to all sorts of shame and guilt and, and worry and actually um, unnecessarily so because what Christ has done brings us into this perfect relationship with, with God. And now we've got this wonderful relationship with God. We can now serve him because of who we are. Uh, Paul Tripp in his book, How People Change, and if you've never read it, I really want to encourage you to, to, to read it, often gives, uh, gives this story of a glass and water. And he asks the question, um, if I were to shake this cup, why would water come out? So if I were to shake this cup, why would water come out? And he says almost everybody, he, he does, takes part in, he, he does Christian counseling. He says almost everybody replies, because you shook the grass the glass. And he says, no, no, no. It, the water did not come out because I shook the glass. Water came out because water was inside of it. Shaking the, the, the glass was only the means by which water came out, but water came out because water was inside it. And it's the same for us in our Christian life. Life shakes us and what comes out is what's inside. We can know what we believe by the things that we do. And sometimes we're going to be surprised by that and actually we're going to be perplexed by that as as christians and that is because there are two powers at working us there's the new spirit the new power that's at work with us but then there's the old flesh the old power of of the unregenerated us 
And both of these are wrestling of control. And this is why so many Christians really struggle with shame and guilt, even though they've got this new identity in Christ, because there is this battle going on. Paul's going to come on to uh, talk about this battle in, in, in chapter six and talk about some of the means by which we're able to fight this battle against our enemy, against the flesh, against the world and against Satan. But it's a struggle, isn't it, sometimes following Jesus? What comes out of our, our mouth, what comes into our thoughts, our actions are not always what we want them to, to, to be. And so there's this gap, I suppose you might say, which Paul seeks to address in this passage. And it's in the form of a prayer. And he wants them to, the Christians to know that they have resources available to them as they seek to live out their new identity with a, as a new family, with a new purpose, with new priorities. And in some sense, he wants us to take hold of something old and something new. In terms of old, he wants us to take hold of the love that God has for us in Christ Jesus. That's something of old. We, we, we've learned in Ephesians that, that that was before the beginning of the foundations of the universe. Uh, God had set his heart on each one of us. So the love of God for us is an old thing, but he wants us to remind us we should take hold of that. We should take a grasp of that. We should cling on to the love of, of Christ. But then a second thing he wants us to take is something new, and that is the, the, the Spirit's work in power in our lives. We've received that when we came to Christ, and so therefore that is something new that makes us part of his family. And so this prayer is sandwiched between what God has done and what we are called to do. And so this prayer gives us an insight into, okay, now that I know who I am, how am I going to live the way in which, with the new, which God wants me to live in society, with new relationships, uh, with, with, with in, in, in families, in, in the society, in, in on my workplace? How am I going to live out this Christian life um, recognizing that I don't always do what I want to do, recognizing that there's a battle at work in us. And he says this, take hold of the Spirit's power, take hold of God's love for you. So um, let me just give you a little bit of an example um, of just the reality in the Christian's life of this. Recently, myself and Boaz put together a robotic um, scorpion, which is solar-powered, um, and um, it's one of these kits and you can make like 10 different objects from a crane to a dinosaur. And we followed the instructions and we made the scorpion, correcting any mistakes uh, uh, as we went. And eventually we'd finished it and it definitely looked like a scorpion and not a crane or a dinosaur. Um, and because it was solar power, the power came from the sun. Now we finished it about four o'clock or half past three, I think maybe. And so it was really dim, becoming dark. And we, we sought to try and get it to move to see if it would, would work. And, but, but of course, there was, there was no sun. And it said you can also put it up to a, a light bulb. So we put it up to a light bulb. But again, ours were energy savings. So there wasn't that much power. We, we heard it crank a little bit like, uh, but, but really, it didn't move. It, it didn't function. It was definitely a scorpion. Yeah. But it didn't have any power. And that's important, isn't it? Because it's a toy. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not an object, but it's a toy. And in one sense, it's the same with us. Okay, when we came to know Christ, the purpose of God saving us was not to be a statue. 
okay, was not to be a non-partaker in God's world. No, it was to become part of his family. And so without the power of Christ, it's like we're images. The image of Christ that's in us, it's like we're statues, we're stuck. We're not moving or doing anything. But when God's spirit comes at, comes to be at work in us, to transform us and to change us, he gives us power to be the image of God in the way in which we live. We are no longer statues, but we are working to our purpose. And so this is why Paul prays for them. No Christ power. Uh, don't be statues, but be living Christ in this, in this, in this world. So we're going to turn to the substance of, of Paul's prayer first, uh, looking at the, 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 the power of God and, and, the, and the love of, of, of God. And so turn with me to uh, verse 16 to 18. Let's just read this together. And he prays this. He says that he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ might dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the height, the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So as I say, he prays two main requests, that we might be strengthened through Christ's power, and that we may be strengthened, that is rooted and grounded in God's love. John Stott talks of this passage saying it's a bit like a staircase. You start off on the um, the, the, the lower um, tread with strengthened with power. And then with each request, you move up the ladder to the, to the top where you recognize that you're asking God to fill you with his fullness uh, that is in Christ Jesus. Look at the, 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 the two different, refer- the, the different references to power and love. Verse 6, 16, it says, strengthened with power, rooted and grounded in love. And then the next step up is um, able to comprehend the height and the breadth and length of God's love. And then to know the love of Christ and then to be filled with the fullness of God. And verse 20 says is that it's according to the power that works in us. So the first thing he wants us to see is that we need as Christians, if we're going to live out our identity in Christ, we need to be strengthened by the Spirit's power. That you may be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Paul's prayer is for strengthening power, but where is it? It's in the inner being. Again, going back to what we've talked about in terms of our our being leading to our doing, what Paul is praying is that you might be strengthened in your being, in your inner being, in in the inner you, in your uh, most intimate um, part of of your life, in your relationships with your heavenly father. And he wants, he's praying, God, would you strengthen them in in, in their relationship with you? Would you strengthen them in who they are becoming in you, in their new creation, in their innermost being? And again, as I said earlier, Paul comes back to this idea of strengthening by the Spirit in chapter 6, where he gives the picture of, of the um, armor, battle armor and some of the spiritual realities that Christ has given us to keep on walking with Christ. And Paul's language here of the inner, inner man in verse 16 and in verse 17, um, our hearts is really the same thing. 
He's saying, would you strengthen them in their hearts through faith in, uh, in Christ? Would you strengthen their innermost being through the Spirit's power? These, Paul often does this where he repeats the same thing, but says it in a slightly different way. And so strengthen with the Spirit's power and that Christ may dwell in you is really the one and the same thing. The, the indwelling Spirit of Christ that dwells in us will strengthen us. And the idea here of this dwelling is much more than to inhabit. It means really to settle down. It's got this idea of permanent residencies. So he's saying, look, may Christ take up permanent residency and do his work in your life. Imagine the difference between renting and own, owning a house. Um, you know, in both cases, you might do a little bit of decoration. You can add your own furniture and soft furnishings. Uh, you may even tack up a picture or two in the home. But you're never going to rewire the house or replace the kitchen if it doesn't belong to you. That's for the owner to do. Well, what Paul is saying here is that he's praying that Christ, who has taken up residency in their life, who is the owner and the occupier of the house, will start to do the work of rebuilding and strengthening structurally, spiritually, us in our relationship with him. D.A. Carson puts it this way. He says, when a person takes a long-term residence somewhere, their presence eventually characterizes the dwelling. When Christ moves into a home, he finds us in bad repair. It takes a great deal of power to change it. And that is why Paul prays for power. He is praying, he is transforming us into a house that is pervasively reflecting his own character. So that's what it means when Paul's praying. He's saying, look, Father, would you hear my prayer for these Ephesian believers? Would you hear my prayer for those who are part of Second City? Would you strengthen their heart? Would you come in and do um, uh, um, uh, strengthen them by your power? Would you change them? Would you transform them to look like Christ? So that as Christ takes up residency, that every heart will make him room. And their life will start to become uh, and look like Christ. And that where he abides and he lives and he dwells. And so for us, that is my prayer for us at Second City. We've got this new identity in Christ. This is who we are. But now it's time to change the inner dynamics of our life to, for us to become more like Christ. And that only happens by Christ's power at work. We can't do it just by sticking on, do, just, just doing good works. The only thing that we can do is offer our lives to him, to place our lives daily upon the altar and say, not my will, but yours be done. Come in in power, enable me to change. Have you, have you ever tried to be more patient? Have you ever worked, I'm going to be working really, 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 really hard to be patient? It's not in you. Why? Because it's a, it's a fruit of the spirit. It only comes when you you. Offer your life and say, you, Lord, help me to be patient. Give me your patience. Make me like your son. Make me patient. Make me kind. Make me gentle. That's why, Christ, that's why Paul is reminding them. It's only by Christ's power you can do these things, not by your own strength. Now, of course, we need to put our faith and our trust in him. That's what we do. But all we can do is offer our hearts to him day after day you have my heart you have your way elsewhere in 
Colossians, Paul talks about letting the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. That's what I mean, offering our hearts to Christ. He also talks about letting, letting the word of Christ, Christ dwelling our hearts richly. It's the same prayer that he's praying. Let Christ, but with his power, take up residence in your life so that he might change you and transform you. So let me ask you, how is your walk with Jesus? Christ intends it to be a daily reality of intimacy for us, that we know him. That's what he wants for us. He wants us to know him and, for, 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 and he wants to, to, to know us as we walk alongside him and we walk side by side with him through life. Are you letting the word of Christ Word of God dwelling you richly. What are the patterns, the rhythms of your own personal devotion with the Lord? Let me encourage you, make space. Make space to hand over your heart. Make space to hand over your mind. Make space to hand over your strength to the Lord day after day, and he will strengthen you. The second thing he says that we need to take hold of is that we need, to, we need, the, we need Christ's power to grasp hold of the love of Christ, that we need to grasp hold of the love of Christ for us. In verse 17, he says this, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, the height, the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge, surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So Paul moves from strength to love, but the same spirit is at work. The same spirit, the same power is at work for us to grasp the limitless dimensions of God's love for us. Now, the Ephesian Christians knew the love of God like many of us, but Paul's prayer is not like that you'll come to know it for the first time. His prayer is that you'll continue to know it, that you'll continue to search it, you'll continue to experience it. Because there's a boundless supply of love that God has for us that knows no limits. Notice, again, it's not understand your love for Christ. It's understand Christ's love for you. Because as we understand his love for us, it will lead us to more love for him. Again, it's a misdirection to try and whoop up love in our own hearts and say, okay, let me, let, let, let me love him more. Let me work hard. Let me, let me, let me be disciplined in all my ways so that I might show him that I, I love him. It doesn't work like that. The, the way it works is when we gaze upon Christ, we look upon his love for us, we see his beauty, we see his glory, then it comes back from us as we receive his love out of us that we become more affectionate, more devotion, uh, more devotion to him. We want to do the things, even though they're hard disciplines to do, we want to spend time with him, we want to serve him then that leads not just wanting to serve him, but to serve our brothers and sisters. Then it goes from just wanting to serve our brothers and sisters, but to serve our community. Then it goes beyond serving our community to serve the, 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 the world that we're in. If we want to make an impact in our world, we don't think about what we can do for Christ. We think about what Christ has done for us. That inspires us, that transforms. And then out of the overflow of our passion we've it's bursting out of us we've got to then direct our love towards one another to our city to our world Paul 
describes here three things about his love that he wants us to, to know. One, the first thing he wants us to see is that uh, we should grasp the security of his love. He says that you being rooted and grounded in love. What does this mean? Well, it, 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 if you notice the words being is a, a past and a present reality, isn't it? Being rooted, you are and, and you will be and you will continue to be rooted and grounded in his love. We need to build our lives on the love that he has for us. We, we must sink our roots deep into his love and we need to draw strength for, for, for every challenge that we face uh, in his love for us not the other way around. As we, as we dig deep and we realize that God has loved us despite our worst mistake, he's loved us despite our rebellion, he, he loves us despite our mistakes, he, he loves us despite our inability to live holy lives. And we're able to recognize we are secure. We don't need to earn his love. We don't need to be better than anybody else. We don't need to to, to promote ourselves or puff ourselves up in our own eyes or in the eyes of other people. No, we sink deep into Christ, his sacrificial love that we see in his, in his crucified life. And so it gives us present purpose and it gives us future hope as we dig deep. The second thing he wants us to see is that we should grasp the limitless dimensions of his love. He says that you may be strengthened to, for what? To comprehend, to, to know, to think about, to comprehend with all the saints, so that's with, with, with all the church, what is the breadth, the length, the height, and the depth of God's love for us. So we're to grasp the greatness of God's love. You know, we could say the breadth of God's love is that he reaches out to every nation, every people, on this earth, no one uh, is excluded from being called to come to him and put their trust in him. We might say his height of his love reaches to the heavens. It goes right up to the throne room uh, of, of, of God. And then maybe the depth of God's love reaches down into the bottom of the sea, to the deepest recesses of, uh, of the pit of our lives, and it plucks us out. His prayer is that we might comprehend it, we might meditate it, and we might drink it in like an endless fountain day after day. Just recognize I'm, I'm loved by the true and living God. I'm loved by the creator of the universe. I'm loved by the one who made all things. I'm loved by the one who knows what love is. I, I'm loved by the one who made me the person that I am. I'm loved by the one who died so he might redeem me and change me and transform me. And how do we do it? We do it with one another. This is not an individual pursuit. This is not just a quiet time reality. So let me encourage you to meditate on God's word on your own. But we meditate with it and we chew it over and we share it with one another. Meditate with all the saints. Every single one of us is in need of this grasping the limitless dimensions of Christ's love for us. God intends us to be shaped by the love of Christ in the midst of Christian community as we reflect on the power of the gospel and the love of Christ that's expressed to us. Thirdly, he says that we might grasp the surpassing knowledge of his love. I think Paul here is describing the experiential nature of God's love 
both in a kind of personal and a communal way. This is not really just merely a head exercise, but this is a life exercise. Vertically, he wants us to merely uh, not stop and marvel at the dimensions of God's love as, as, as something for our head, but he wants the reality of his love to permeate into our lives. We might grasp the knowledge, but he's talking here like of a personal knowledge, not just merely a head knowledge, that we might accept his love for us, that we are forgiven. How many of us here struggle day after day to accept his forgiveness? And why is it that we can't accept his forgiveness? Why? Because we're still putting ourselves in the center of our lives. We're still saying our view, what we think about ourselves is more important and more significant than what Christ thinks of us. But this is not merely just a, a, a vertical reality, but this is a horizontal reality. He wants us to know the love that we have and experience the love that we have, that has for not just us, but for the church, for the world, for our friends, for our enemies. He wants us to recognize and experience the reality of his body loving one another, bearing with one another, forgiving one another, confessing with one another. And then finally, he wants us to know in terms of this love, or wants the effect of this love to bring us to maturity. He says, you know, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. He wants us to grasp the love of God so that we might become mature, knowing the love that God has for us. You know, you cannot be mature or become mature unless you know and experience the greatness of God's love for you in Christ Jesus. We need the fullness of God's love and his power to order to become like Christ. Again, going back to that example of the scorpion, the power gives it the ability to, to do what it meant, is meant to do. It, it moves and it, it turns, but it's, it's more than just, you know, its function. You know what I mean? It, it's about why it's doing what it's doing. And I think love is what, you know, if power is the thing that gives us the ability to do something, love is the thing that gives us the motivation, the direction to do things. Paul, as he writes to the Corinthians church in 1 Corinthians 13, just talks about how God has given spiritual gifts to function within the body. But he says, look, you can still function the body with those gifts, but if you don't have love, the purpose, the effect of what is uh, meant to come about will be misdirected. Rather than building up and strengthening the body, no, that, that gift becomes like a, a noisy gong. It becomes like an irritating uh, horn being honked in, in the face of all other believers. See, love really makes the difference to the effect of which the way we live. We can't just merely follow the rules, obey the commands of Jesus if we don't have love. He says, if you love me, you will obey my commands. If we love him, if we know the love that he has for us and then respond in love for him, it will give a reason and a purpose for the things that we do. So each of us, Paul is praying is that we should seek the fullness of God's power and God's love for ourselves, that we should pray for one another. We should pray this 
for each other. Pray for our local church, Second City, that each of us might be strengthened in both power and love. Pray for the churches in our city, that they might be strengthened in love. Pray for the churches and believers across the world, whether it's in Bangladesh or or whether it's in in the USA. Uh, Pray for them that they might know and be strengthened in God's power and love. We want to pray for our neighbors. They might come to know God's power and love. Pray for our families that they might come to know his power and love. Pray for our enemies that they might come to know power and his love. Should pray for those who are broken and lost in our world that they might know his power and his love. That either side of the content of his prayer, which is that we might know his power and his love, is uh, an insight into the way in which we should approach the Father in prayer. And I think this is important. Paul gives us some insight to the posture of prayer, and that is that we should be those who pray with humility. And there's a number of facets and features of this that I'm going to draw out. So in, in verse 14 says, For this reason I bow my knee before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being. And then in verse 20, after the content of this prayer, says, Now to him he was able to do far more abundantly than all that we could ask or think, according to the power at work in us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. So this is a prayer. The posture of prayer should be one of humility. He says, For this reason, I bow my knee before the Father. Now, you know, the normal prayer position for first century Jews was not kneeling, but standing. And I don't know if you can picture them today. They're there at the the Wailing Wall, standing and praying. Whenever someone in the Bible knelt for prayer, it indicated a deep humility and an emotion before God. This is not the only way to pray. I'm not suggesting every single one of us is going to follow out this, but it's a picture of what's going on in, in, in the heart. Paul is expressing this heart of humility to come before the Father. And there's three facets I just want to bring out. The first one is that he comes in humble gratitude. He says, for this reason. Now, again, as we looked at last week, You start in verse one, Paul starts the prayer, but then he goes straight off in a diversion talking about uh, what Christ has done in his life and how he's called him to this ministry. And then he comes back to this for this reason. So verse one starts for this reason. Then he comes back in verse 14 for this reason. So what is the reason? Well, the the reason is what's in verses, uh, chapters one and two. Um, And it's all that God has done for us. You know, you read chapters one and two, and it's all about God's amazing grace. It's all about how he plucked us out of darkness and brought us into his life through his grace and through his own works so that none of us can boast. And so he says, look, for this reason, because of all that Christ has done, I'm on my knee and I'm grateful. I want to come before you in humble gratitude. You are the one who has done all things for us. And I'm coming before you to pray for my brothers and sisters in in, in the church in in Ephesus um, 
because I want them to know. I want them to, to know what they have because of you. And so I'm coming before you in gratitude, in thankfulness to you, our Heavenly Father, for all that you've done. He's reflecting on the magnificence and the undeserved grace that leads him to put his face down in, in worship to his Heavenly Father. Now, I don't know whether uh, this is just a little bit of an, as, an aside, but have you ever thought about how we get ourselves into difficulties in our lives? And a lot of the time, it's, it's what we're worshipping, isn't it? We get ourselves into a difficult time in our lives, a dark time. Maybe it's unbelief. Maybe it's not doing something that we, we should do, or maybe it's doing something that we, we shouldn't do. Uh, but each time, it's, it's worshipping an idol, whether it be an idol of, of self or whether it be an idol of comfort or whether it be an idol of success, whatever it might be, we end up kneeling before it and worshipping it. And so the only way out of sin is worship. The only way out of sin is worship, is to turn our worship away from the thing that we've been worshipping and turn it to the one who is able to help us and keep us, our Heavenly Father. And so... Paul here is on his knees in worship and bowing before the Father in prayer, worshipping him in humble gratitude. And he's worshipping him because God has called us, adopted us, redeemed us, forgiven us, all because of his great love for us. So that's the first thing. As we come before the Father in prayer for, for power and for strength, we come humbly thankful for all that he has done. The second thing we see is that we come in desperation. Again, I bow the knee. You know, bowing the knee is a sign of desperation. It's a, it's, it's a sign of recognizing that there's something that we need and there's one who has the power to give it to us. I don't know if you've ever watched some of the sort of films um, in, um, where, you know, about, um, you know, kings and queens of the past and if you were to come into the presence of the king, the first thing you do is you'd kneel down and bow your head before the king. Why? Because you know that he has the power to do whatever he wants for you because you're one of his subjects. And so we're coming here before our heavenly father, knowing that he's good and he's lovely. We're coming in desperation before him saying, Father, would you help us? And that's what Paul's saying. Would you help this, this church to know your strength and to know your love? We see this Elsewhere that Paul, Paul did this with the Ephesians elders in Acts 20, when he met them on his way back and he knew this was going to be the last time that he would see him in Acts 20. And he, he, they said they bowed their knees together in prayer and they shed many tears. So here's Paul desperately, passionately coming before the Father and saying, give your church power. Let them know the love that you have for them. Let them search it. Let all this strengthen them so they might be able to live the life that you've called them to live. How desperate are you to come to before the Father, calling out to know his love and to have his power? John 15, 5 says that apart from him, we can do nothing. That should be our attitude in prayer. Apart from you, Lord, I can do nothing. Give me your power. Let me know your love that strengthens me. And then finally, 
this then should lead to a humble confidence in our prayer. Yes, we are becoming coming before the creator of the universe, the one who has done all things. But Paul is coming confidently here. He says, look, for this reason I bow my knee, from whom every family in heaven on earth is named. He's saying, look, I'm coming to the one who has the power to answer me. And he has called all peoples by his name. And we know the story of Abraham, how God worked through Abraham and, and he, he became, through his offspring, there would be a blessing to all nations. So here's a humble confidence in God's past work. God, you have done this. And I know you're able to answer. Your power has been seen throughout history, including every family under heaven on earth uh, to, to yourself. And then not only is it the past work, but also it's the present character of God that he turns to. He says, look, that is according to the richness of your glory. And here this idea of glory is the beauty, the splendor, the perfect character, the attributes, the personality that makes God God. And it's not a small amount, it's the riches, which describes this inexhaustible blessing that comes from who he is. So Paul is coming humbly, but humbly confident. I know what you've done in the past, and I know who you are, and I know that the supply of your goodness does not run out. Your resources, in terms of your, towards your children, are always there and always available. And then finally, he comes with this, with future expectation in, in verse 20. It says, now to him who was able to do far more abundantly than we could ask or think according to the power at work in us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ through all generations forever and ever. Amen. Finally, at the end of his prayer, Paul bursts forth in praise with great expectation in his humble confidence that God will answer his prayer for the Ephesians, that they might receive power and they might know his love. And how does this start? He says, well, he says, when you are able, God is able, able to do what? Far more, far more than what? Well, far more abundantly. And then he carries on, far more abundantly than we can ask, but not only just ask, but think. So Paul, he is absolutely confident as, he, as he's writing to the church saying, Lord, I'm, I'm praying for you guys that you might know his power and his love. And I know that he is able and he's far more abundant, abundantly able than, than any of us could ask or think. He has the power to, to be at work in us, to strengthen us. And he does it all for his glory, both in the church as in glorifying us as in we, that, 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 that's, that through his work in us, we might become more like Christ and we might, other people might see God's glory in us, but also then lifting high Christ Jesus and all that he has done for us so that all generations will know that Christ is the Savior. We need to have a bigger vision of God's greatness. We need to have a, a bigger vision of his power, his love, and his glory. 
We need to pray daily that God will give us the power to overcome the most dogged of sins that we find really hard to shake off. We need to pray with great boldness and great confidence that he will give us the strength to stand up underneath the difficulties and the hardships. We need to pray that God will give us the boldness to speak about him to our work colleagues and to our friends and to our, our family. Why? Because he is able He is able to do more, to do more than we can imagine, more than we even dare to ask. And church, isn't that the reality sometimes? Sometimes we don't ask the thing because we worry that he won't answer. Well, let me encourage you. Paul prays for this church in the same way we pray this for one another, that we might know him better. And in knowing him better, he might give us his power. We might know the depth of his love. And that will then lead us out of who we are and what he's done for us to live radical lives for him, sacrificial lives for him, lives of boldness and faith, stepping out, sacrificing so that his kingdom might come, that his will might be done. Paul models here how we should come to the Father with humility, in gratitude of what he's done, in desperation for what we need, and in confidence that he's able to do it. I pray that in your prayer life, and in our our prayer life communally, that we would be those who come before the Father. And we pray and we uphold each other and we ask God to be at work in each other's lives. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are able to do more than we can ask or think. We thank you that we can have eager expectation because we're confident in that you have the power, that you have the love and you have the goodness. I pray that you would strengthen everybody who's part of Second City in their love for you that you might stir their hearts up as they gaze upon and we think about and we meditate on the love that you have for us, the greatness of your love for us. And I pray that they might send us out, Lord, to be your hands and your feet in this world, to do mighty things for you. And when I say mighty, Father, I mean both the small mighty things and the big mighty things. The things that are seen and the things that are unseen, the things that seem to come to nothing and the things that seem to come to a lot. We cannot do this on our own. We need your power, God. Strengthen us, we pray, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.